Welcome to From the Bleachers, a podcast from Sam Rose University's KLA-FM. My name is Logan Howe. In this episode, Sam Rose University Athletic Director Mike Holmes is back on the podcast. We talk about how COVID-19 has affected sports and also how weather popped the practice schedule. Hello, and thanks for listening to From the Bleachers from your very own San Ambrose University. I'm Logan Howell, and with me today is San Ambrose University Athletic Director Mike Holmes. Mike, thanks for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Logan. So, first, I want to ask you the question that everyone's kind of wondering. How well do you think the university has handled coming back to campus, and as well as getting sports going again under the circumstances of a pand- pandemic? I think it's been actually pretty strong, honestly. I mean, I'm sure everybody can point to individual episodes that they've seen that are not uh, in keeping with um, all of the regulations and and protocols but uh, you know we're not uh, we're not experiencing you know high volumes of uh, positive tests Uh, we had maybe a little bit of a spike last week but you know for me personally you know just uh, when the hundred of our football players uh, tested negative, we thought that, that was a, a great feather into uh, what our football coaches have been doing. You know, I've been going to all practices uh, for all the teams and just uh, taking a look and seeing what we're doing. And I think, by and large, athletes are doing what they're supposed to do. I walk around on campus, I see students generally doing what they're supposed to do. I'm not watching people at night, but uh, <laughs> you know, I I, I think we're uh, we're going forward, we're making it happen so far, and so I think it's it's been a pretty good start. What are some of the protocols that are in place, or the coaches have put into place to keep these athletes safe at practice? We screen the athletes before every practice, then we file that report with the NAIA, so that's done on a daily basis. We um, have like distribution of water is individualized, so like football practice, we have one person distributing water. The player takes off the cap themselves, hand it, hands it to the person who gets the water filled up. That person has on gloves. They're the only one who handles any water bottles other than the player. They take it around to their to their individual stations. We are staying in workout groups whenever possible. So when uh, we had a positive test on women's soccer, we knew that we had 17 of our 34 or so players practice with that individual Exclusively, So we knew that uh, to, for safety, we just quarantined that one group. Turned out then the county health said we didn't have to quarantine that group. And so, um, you know, we had just done that as a protocol. We uh, keep spacing whenever possible. You know, obviously football players are going to have to hit eventually. Mm-hmm. And, and even volleyball players are going to come together. But when, we're, when it's possible to drill apart, we do that. And then we have the gator masks. Uh, I know people can't see, but one like one I'm wearing that goes around the neck, and when you're ac- actually exercising, that can be down. But when we get into huddles and team meetings, locker rooms, we pull that up and and do the masking. So, what do you believe wh- was the most difficult challenge, or a couple different challenges you found the most difficult that you faced in regards to trying to get sports going again under these circumstances? Well, the challenges are that the, the, by the nature of the beast, you have this apparent, uh, what would be a contradiction. So, you know, you walk by, let's say, our men's soccer practice, and guys are running and getting after it. Well, 
they're not going to be masked. And occasionally, as they're going and playing the ball, there's going to be contact. And so in many people's minds, that's a contradiction. Well, um, it, it, it's not the same. You're, you're asking people to have their mask up, to stay distant, the classrooms are spaced. So uh, I'm often asked to try to justify that. And I think the justification is this. There is a consistency. And the consistency is that in, in my position, like anybody's position here, we should be operating toward the ultimate welfare of the students who are our clients, right? And nobody can dispute that exercise and competitive competition is good for a person emotionally, intellectually, and physically. Nobody can dispute that. And so if we, if that's our foundation and that's a given, then the question is, are we making that safe as we possibly can? And I believe that we are. I mean, for the reasons I just, I just outlined to you, I think we are making that as safe as we possibly can. And so on those grounds, it is consistent. It'd be like saying, well, we know that the body needs food to survive, so you can't stay masked all the time, right? Because you gotta eat. Mm -hmm. So when you eat, if you pull down your mask and you sanitize tables, then what you're doing is you're operating toward the best possible outcome for that individual, and you're looking, uh, you're looking to mitigate their possible risk of COVID at the same time to the best degree that you can. And so in that case, and using those parameters, I believe we're absolutely consistent in what we're doing with athletics. And I think that our numbers are showing that we're doing a pretty good job on that. Absolutely. And the next thing I kind of want to ask you about here is when it comes to getting schedules done or talking to other schools, different states have different protocols at the fall, such as Iowa and Illinois. Has that been difficult in any way, trying to get schedules set up, especially for cross country who just had a competition this last weekend? Yeah, that's been a nightmare. And, and the reason is even within our own conference, we have Chicago that is operating completely different parameters mm -hmm. than we're operating or Indiana's operating or Wisconsin. And so you have that. Also, there's conferences who have made rules. Uh, for example, uh, we have a conference that will only play schools, a non-conference, who have mandatory tested all of their athletes. Well, we've kind of thought that that's uh, mandatory testing. Well, we're not begrudging anybody who wants to do that. We just think that that is, is very costly and it doesn't give you necessarily an accurate parameter or, or guidepost for really what's going on. I mean, I, I could have COVID and not test positive and then show symptoms two days later. So... You know that's making it hard on our coaches because they can't schedule those teams. So uh, just this last week, we did open up fall for non-conference games, even though conference soccer and lacrosse and football and volleyball will all be spring. We opened up fall for non-conference games, but some of our coaches are just finding they just can't find teams that they can play either because they've shut it down. You know, a lot of D3s have shut it down for mm -hmm. the for the season or NAI schools are either locked into a particular schedule and, and conference obligations, or they just uh, aren't going forward. So the next thing I want to ask you about is you brought up fall sports moving, uh, such as football, lacrosse. What went into that decision for you to make to make that final decision? Okay, we are going to move it to the spring. Yeah, well, that one is I, I can say that. That wasn't my decision. So I, I kind of anticipated this might be coming, and we tried to 
form a couple task forces over the summer that involve college presidents and athletic directors and really tried to put forward some alternative plans in case this happened. And I, I don't know the actual thought process of the NAIA to move everything into the into the spring, but I imagine it has something to do with, you know, getting things organized and and trying to get a little bit more on top and downtrend the 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 uh, pandemic. And so we were anticipating that all the way back in June and putting forth like a split schedule. Hey, why don't we play some games in October, November? We have our break and then we come back and play. As the problem with, in my opinion, on how things are shaking out now is we're going to have soccer games, football games, lacrosse games all in February. That's just going to be brutal. I mean, you know, you want to talk, start talking about uh, injury risk. Uh, that that that's going to be tough on kids and and fans and everybody else. So, <clears throat> back to your question, you know, what was was it? It, it really wasn't, uh, you know, our decision as a university or even a conference. The NAIA is the organization that said we are going to have these particular championships in spring, even cross country. But then our presidents came together. And said, "Well, why don't we just run the the cross country season in the fall from the for the conference?" And so then now we're we're being essentially dictated. Okay, here's how you're going to do it. So figure it out. Obviously, the huge problem with all of that is going to be, uh, you know, we have great facilities, but we also have 29 teams. So how are we going to get everybody, uh, especially with the dome offline right now? We're hoping to actually get that back uh, by January. But how are we going to practice all of these teams and play all of these games? And that's, it's not just facilities, it's game day personnel, it's officials, it's transportation. So that's going to be the really difficult part when we get to that point. Yeah, and you brought up the Dome. That's going to make things even more difficult for you. What are some of the ramifications of that Dome popping now? Well, the the ramifications are obvious. I mean, we yeah, it, there's a cost involved. Now, our insurance, you know, that's kind of a no-brainer. The the storm is what did it to the dome, and our insurance company realizes that, so that helps. But it, we, we got to see if our turf is damaged. We had just laid new turf in there, and if that's damaged, that's going to be an an additional cost probably. Uh, but just the just the time and the uncertainty now, so we can't really schedule the dome for spring yet because we don't know if it'll be back and running. We we're hoping that it will be, but. If that's not available, I don't know how we're going to do it. Honestly, we're going to have to start getting into renting additional space, uh, like uh, the TDK, the the Betplex, uh, things like that, just to try to have have uh, enough space to run all of these teams that we're going to have. But yeah, the the dome that was a that was a, an additional kick while we were down. But hey, we're going to deal with it, and we're going to try to get that thing up and going by spring. Just keep on rolling there. And my next question I actually had for you was kind of the timetable. Is that spring, is that kind of a set deadline you want to have it by, or is that just kind of a lofty goal at this point? Well, I'd say if we can get it up and running by the time kids come back uh, from the, you know, whatever. I know we haven't really set our spring schedule yet, but um, when, when the kids come back, if the dome can be up and functional, I think that'll be a huge thing for us. So what has been your message to the athletes as they've come back this fall with everything going on and especially to their respective sports? What's been that one message you've tried to get to the kids? I know that the coaches are really 
banging home on the, you know, being responsible and taking care of teammates and not being reckless. So I haven't really hit that message. What I wanted them to know is just from a philosophical standpoint, my whole thing on this. And, and that is, I truly believe in my heart that our kids can participate with our strategies and be safe. And if I didn't think they could be safe, then we wouldn't be doing this in the first place. Since I believe that, I'm telling the kids that I, my whole thing with everybody I talk to, and that's the NAIA, our conference, my president, the task forces that I've been a, a, a part of, is that it is more beneficial for the kids to play than it is for them not to play. You know, the what not, not too many people talk about, because it seems like a secondary thing, but the report of the student athlete since March about levels of depression, levels of anxiety. Um, we don't know about suicide rates yet because we haven't gotten into that data. That data hasn't caught up yet. But I, I think it's far more dangerous for our kids not to be playing than it is to be playing. Uh, Iowa High School just proved, anecdotally anyway, for one season, softball and baseball operated. And if anybody went to those games, as I did, there were not people were not masking, people were not spacing, and ninety six percent of those teams got through uh, the season without any interruption. Ninety four percent with a blip where they had to you know do a quarantine, but then they got through the season. Ninety five percent of the athletes got through without any positive test. Nobody was hospitalized. Nobody died, and so that is that's that's a that's a good outcome for the people in the industry to realize that this this can be done. Uh, it can be done successfully. We don't want anybody to get sick, but we don't want anybody to get hurt either. We don't want uh, our cheerleaders to not get caught when they get thrown up in the air. We don't want a, a vehicle that's on its way to a game to have an accident. We always have an inherent risk in doing this. Uh, but if that risk is very low, which it appears that it is, then we know that our benefits for participating are astronomically high. And I'm, I'm, that's what I'm telling our kids is I'm going to fight that to get you to play until somebody finally tells me we can't do it. So um, I just wanted them to know that, that from, from my perspective, they have an advocate to, to have games. And all that said, Logan... If a kid does not feel comfortable playing, I fully support that. And and they're not going to lose eligibility. They're not going to lose their scholarship if that's something that they choose to do. Well, we will totally – I don't have all the answers. You know, I have the data in front of me that I've analyzed just like anybody else analyzes it, and I, I make a decision based on what I see. Absolutely. And that's always the best decision to make there. And – one sport that's got going, like we talked about a little bit, is cross country. They had to meet this past weekend, and it seemed to go very well. It did. I, you know, we in talking to the coaches. I was I was ready to support fans at the at the meet, and the coaches thought because we were going to be in a public park, that was going to be really tough to uh, to try to manipulate. If, if people have been to cross country, it's a it's a unique culture there. <laughs> the you know fans get right up on the course, and they sometimes run along with the runners, and they run from one side of the course to the other. Coaches just felt like, hey, this is our first one. Let's just make sure we can handle this, make sure the runners feel safe and, and comfortable. And so we, we kind of uh, did not have fans at that particular meet, but and we had our volunteers out there kind of directing people on the course. 
the athletes uh, showed up, got screened, uh, seemed like they participated very safely. Everybody seemed, you know, I think everybody was just really excited to get back out and compete again. Absolutely. It's been since March. So that was, it was fun. And, and um, I know our present sister Joan got out there at the, uh, at the end. And yeah, we had good results for our teams. Uh, kids seemed to have fun doing it. Yeah. And you brought up sister Joan. And what are your feelings found, finding out now that she's going to be stepping down at the end of this year? I think anytime you've got a good situation, you hate change, right? Absolutely. So, uh, for me, as a, as an athletic director, uh, Sister Joan has she gets it, and that not every president does. She understands the value of of athletics and what it does for a university, what it does for the kids who attend here and participate. And so I think it's bad news for me. You know, I, I, <laughs> I we could get a fantastic president. I'm, I'm sure we probably will, but I know. Uh, what Sister Joan brings to the table, and so um, I'm not happy <laughs> about the news, <laughs> but it's part of life, you know. Uh, Sister Joan has other things that she needs to do now in her life, and so we'll support her in doing that. And, and then, uh, you know, we're hopeful that the committees that are involved in picking the next president will uh, do so for the right, do all the right things and get us a person who can kind of just continue where things are leaving off. Mr. Holmes, I'd like to thank you for coming on today. I wish you good luck on the rest of the sports season as you guys move forward. And that go that is going to conclude From the Bleachers, a podcast from St. Ambrose University. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to From the Bleachers. In the next episode, I talk with San Ambrose bowler Charles Hart about the team's safety protocols and what got him started in bowling.